This is Pete Price. City Talk 105.9. And tonight, how safe is your home? My home is my castle. That's what the program's about. Every single one of you may live in fear these days. You might have the security. And we're going to be talking to to Roy Williams from Crosby uh, Intruders Alarms about security. Shortly, we're going to be talking to Mark uh, Dawes, who sounds a fascinating man. He's written a book about understanding reasonable force. But we want to hear your stories. And the reason why we're doing this program is, if you remember a while ago, Jim, his name was, took a pickaxe handle to three guys that came into his house who threatened to cut off his fingers. How far would you go? There's little old ladies out there that won't take it. They won't stand for it. They won't have any of that crap. So how far would you go? And that's what the program's about tonight. Uh, In a moment, we're going to be uh, speaking to Mark Dawes. Mark is a director of national coach tuition of NFPS Limited, an organization that specializes in uh, conflict management, uh, risk management, and occupational physical skill training. As one of the few expert witnesses on the issues of reasonable force in the UK, he proves, uh, provides reports and testimonies for courts and was recently engaged as an expert witness uh, for the defence in a manslaughter case involving the death of a person during restraint. Um, he has uh, also been involved in various civil court cases, tribunals and hearings uh, where his expert opinions have been tr- um, have been sought in the cases where physical force has been used. Uh, as a consultant um, a trainer, uh, over the years he has provided training for many thousands of um, staff, healthcare staff, transport companies, etc. And now security organisations and military personnel. A fascinating man. We're going to be speaking to him in a moment. He's written an incredible book, and I'm thrilled. I love it when Jay gets me guests like this. Understanding Reasonable Force is the title of the book, and we'll be with Mark in a second. Now, you know how this programme works. We have two hours, and it's your chance to vent your anger, to vent your irritation that once upon a time we did. And we did live in times, and I remember it, where you could leave your back door open. Now, whether it was the fact that we um, didn't have anything to nick, maybe that was the, I don't know, maybe that was it. But where do we stand with reasonable force? In America, and I'll certainly ask Mark this, if I remember rightly, you can shoot somebody, but you've got to drag them into the house and then get away with it. If you shoot them outside, you're in trouble. I... Don't advocate any violence at all, but if anybody came into my home, I have measures in place. I will just say it at that, so do not question me on that at all, but I have measures in place, and I have to have that because of who I am, um, because I worry, and because we're on late-night radio, and you know what happens, uh, So some of the security we have to actually have to need. But I'm asking you how safe is your home, how you feel about your home, how you feel um, that times are going on, and... And what is reasonable force? Uh, If you buy a baseball bat, do you have to buy a glove and does that cover you? Do you carry something in the boot of your car as well? But our main priority tonight is, is your home, your castle. It always was. But why should people try and enter, you know, and why should there be any defence of anyone's in your home? If they're in your home, they're there to either do you harm or rob you. Why shouldn't you be able to hit them with a baseball bat? They're in your home. They have broken into your home. They've attacked you or they're about to attack you. Why shouldn't you take a knife to them? And most of us out there, like myself, are not violent by nature. 
But if you're protecting something you've worked for all your life, all your properties around you, everything's there, why shouldn't we protect them? Let's say hello to Mark. Hi, Mark. Hiya, Pete. How you doing? I am very well indeed. Thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, you're most welcome. It's a minefield, isn't it? It can be, yeah. It's what, it's what got me started on this in the first place, to be honest. Tell us how you did start. Well, I was um, actually working as a computer consultant, having just left the Navy in, in 1988, and I was running local martial arts schools. I was actually approached by the Metropolitan Police to ask if I'd be interested in doing some self-defence courses for a local crime prevention panel. That's really where it all started, to be honest. Now, what made you write the book, Understanding Reasonable Force? Well, as, as you're probably aware, we, we run a training company, and uh, I, I've been on seminar routes all over the UK lecturing on this stuff. And people have always said, you know, it would be really nice if, if you actually had a book that we could take away and, and, and use as a resource. So it came about really as a result of people asking me to do it. So what do we get from the book? Well, the, the book goes right back to sort of the, the, the conception of where this all came from, because as you've already stated to, to your listeners, there, there's a huge sort of confusion about this. And a lot of it is driven by what we see in the headlines and what we read in the news. And, you know, we're becoming socially inert. We're becoming slightly risk-averse as a society where people believe they don't have any rights. We're actually to have quite a few. And the aim of the book was to actually say to people, look, you know, the law actually in many cases is on your side. You know, what you're hearing isn't necessarily the reality of what's going on. What you're hearing is only what, what sells newspapers and makes the news more interesting for the companies that own the news stations. Let me ask you about America before we talk about England. It, it, was I right in saying that? It, it, it's, it's, if, if somebody kills you or shoots you in your house, you've got more, more of a chance than if it's outside. Well, in America? Yeah. To be honest with you, Pete, I really couldn't comment on that. I'm not an expert on American law. Ah, right. It's not an area I've been involved in. It was with. just that I was told that if, if somebody attacked you, you attack them outside, you've got to drag them into the house and you get away with it. I wouldn't have thought so. I mean, we just had the case that on the news. It was only on, on BBC last night when I was watching the news on there of, of the neighbour who actually shot two burglars outside his neighbour's house. And the, the grand jury in Texas found him not guilty at all. Cause he oh, right. his neighbour's property. So I think there's, that's one of the other myths that tends to exist that, that gets perpetuated by, by, um, by rumour more than fact. I'm talking to Mark Dawes, who's written a book called Understanding Reasonable Force. M Mark, people are getting angry now. I mean, I do a late-night phone. It's one of the biggest ones in this country, and we have so many people out there who really are fearful. They're listening now, you know, to, to find something out, because, you know, they're not violent people, but they've worked hard for what little they've got or how much they've got. What do they do? What do they do when they're attacked? Yeah. Well, they defend themselves. They've got every right to do so. I mean, this is something that's that's been in our common law for, for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it, it's enshrined in our criminal law, and it's also reinforced by the Human Rights Act. I mean, we can actually go so far as, as to legitimately killing someone with intent, providing that, that the, the amount of force we use is, you know, proportionate to what we're trying to prevent. So there's a whole raft and continuum of things that we are, we are allowed to do. I mean, I think the, the, the sort of social, social hypnosis with this, if you like, if that's, that's the right word to use, where, where people are, are being told they can't do certain things, Again, it's perpetuated by what sells newspapers and, and what goes on the telly. But in, in 2005, for example, the Director of Public Prosecutions actually stated that during the, the previous 15 years, uh, where the courts dealt with, with over 20 million crimes, there had actually only been 11 prosecutions against householders who defended themselves. And, and one of those were, was where, where a burglar was tied up and thrown into a pit, a pit and set alight. So they're, they're quite extreme cases. You know, so if you consider that, you know, most of the stuff we're hearing about householders being prosecuted for defending themselves 
is really the exception. Most of the cases we, you know, we won't hear about where they're successfully defended and, and they're found not guilty because they don't sell newspapers. Um, re recently, there was a case up here. I don't know if it made it national. I know it certainly made the uh, northern news. There was a guy called Jim, retired soldier, oldish guy now, uh, probably my sort of age. And three guys broke in, uh, threatened to cut his hands, uh, cut his fingers off. He took a baseball, uh, not a baseball bat, a, a pickaxe handle to him um, and managed to overcome them and get them out. But where does he stand legally with that? Where, where this happened? In his house? In his house, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, if, if three guys are threatened to cut your hands off, then, then it's quite reasonable to take whatever's to hand to defend yourself. I can't see a problem with that at all. But is there a problem with the fact he sleeps with a baseball bat or um, a pickaxe handle under his bed? No, it's private property. You, you can basically have whatever you like on private property. I mean, I mean you, you can look back to, to 1988 in the, in the case of Ted Newbury. I mean... This was a 76-year-old gentleman from Derbyshire, and he actually lay, lay in wait in, in an allotment shed for an intruder that had broken in a few times before. And when this, this um, intruder turned up, he actually shot him with a 12-bore shotgun when, it, when he tried to enter. Uh, he was prosecuted on charge of wounding, but he was acquitted by a jury that he was actually found not guilty. What about the big case? Was it Tony the farmer? Tony Martin? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Tony Martin was, was another case of, of a preemptive use of force where, where he lay in wait with someone. But what, what's interesting about the Tony Martin case, and this, this comes back to, again, how, how courts work. I mean, I think there's a romantic notion that, that courts are about justice, and they're actually not. It's about what you can prove. And Tony Martin's uh, prosecution, uh, the people who were prosecuting Tony Martin, didn't actually have a hard job in finding him guilty because Tony Martin had told loads and loads of people what he intended to do. He, he said he was going to buy a gun, he was going to round these people up, if they came back again he was going to shoot them. And this is one of the, the, the things we have to understand about, about the defence to self-defence, is if you're motivated by revenge, if it's found that you are, you are actually motivated by teaching someone a lesson by retaliation or retribution, then all of your defences tend to, to, to fall away, you don't have a defence. And Tony, it was what Tony Martin said, uh, really, that got him into trouble, not necessarily what he did. Now, how do the police feel about uh, what you say? Because they wouldn't speak like you do. How do they feel about what I say? Yeah, I mean, because, well, the police, I mean, we've had various police officers on over the years, and they wouldn't speak and use the emotive words that you use. They wouldn't sort of say that you should have a pickaxe handle there if, if it's on private property. Well, I think they've got to tread a very, very um, safe line, haven't they? Haven't they? Being, the, being the police, they, they can't be seen to be to be um, swinging the pendulum one way or the other. They've got to walk the middle of the road answer, I would presume. And uh, I, I think the police have, have a difficult job on this one because the minute they, they would make a statement like I'm making now, they, they would be in the spotlight, the press would be on them, and it would, you know, would become front-page news and it could be taken out of context. So I, I think they've you know, got to be very careful about what they actually say. So do people get in touch with you to, to ask advice? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we run training courses throughout, throughout our company and we get a lot of people that come on the training courses, primarily because of the, the standard of the legal information we give. But I have lots of people ring up for advice. Uh, we had a case, it must have been about three or four years ago now, where two staff in North Wales restrained a man who had become drunk and violent in a, in a nightclub. They, they didn't do a bad job, actually. They had no training, but they, they didn't do a bad job. They, they, they got him you know, reasonably controlled. The police arrived, they, they handcuffed the man, took him away in the back of a police vehicle, and the guy was pronounced dead some, some time later. And the police came back and arrested the two men who'd initially restrained him and charged them with, with murder based on the fact that the guy allegedly was originally dead when they first arrived on the scene. 
which was quite an interesting... Actually, I had to come to Liverpool for that one. That was quite an interesting case. It was being heard in some of the barristers' chambers up there. And uh, we, we got those charges against the staff dropped almost immediately. So is this what you do for a living as well as train? Yes, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm on the expert witness register. I'm one of the expert witnesses in the UK on the use of reasonable force. I'm probably one of the, the few expert witnesses that, that doesn't have a police background, which makes me quite impartial, if you like, and quite independent. So how do you, be, how do you get to become an expert witness? <laughs> how does that happen? I was asked. Uh, there was no great plan to be, Pete, to be honest with you. I, was, I, was, I had a vested interest in the, in, in the law. I mean, going, going back to the beginning, when I was first running courses for, for the police in the local area, one of the first courses we did for a large company, I was there to do the physical stuff because that's really all I knew at that time. And the police were there to do the, the, the legal stuff and to talk about the law and give police advice and personal safety advice. And a, a woman actually asked a question. She said, you know, could you keep talking about reasonable force. Could you tell me what it means? And the police officer answered that by saying, well, the reasonable force depends on what you do. And if it's excessive, you'll be found guilty. And if it's not excessive, you'll be found not guilty. And it's up to the jury or a magistrate to decide that. And that was basically the answer. So she asked the question again, and he gave the same answer, and I didn't understand it, and nor did she, and I, and I don't think, to be honest, he did either. So when she asked me the question, it, it put me in a, a very awkward position. So I, I guaranteed her an answer by the following week, which uh, was a, a bit of a brash thing to do. And I can, I can remember the police officers working with at the time saying to me, well, good luck, it takes five years to do a basic law degree, and you're going to do this in a week. He said, we don't even understand this. And that's what drove me, really. It was, it was not being able to answer a question. You know, it was, it was going back to basics and actually looking at what reasonable force was. And to do that, you've got to go and, and, and read the law. You've got to, got, to, got to read and interpret judges' decisions. See, what upsets me is, uh, when I speak to a police officer, they'll say about reasonable force. What they, they then say... Uh, I mean, how can you have reasonable force? You know, an ordinary person in their house... I don't think to myself, if you attack me in my house, I don't think to myself, right, I want this guy out, but I've got to be reasonable about it. I can't. I mean, the fear that it puts into you, the worry that it puts into you, you haven't got time to think about reasonable force. If you stick a knife in somebody, it's because you've stuck a knife in somebody. It's not because you've thought, I don't know what to do. I better unstick a knife in because if I go to court, I'm in trouble. So I don't understand this ridiculous statement, reasonable force. To be honest with you, Pete, you don't need to. I mean, the, the law's quite clear on it. it, it you know, the, the law will take your version of events as you honestly believe them to be, as being the founder calling stone for your defence. Even if that mistake's, mis you know, if, if that, that uh, belief is a mistaken one. And we've had numerous cases, you know, go to court where people have, have acted believing the risk to be, you know, quite severe, when in reality it, it was a much lower risk and they, they've acted with what they thought they needed to do. In hindsight, someone could say, well, that actually was quite excessive. But the law is quite clear on this, and it goes back to, to some of the case laws, like the case law of Palmer, which says, you know, so long as you, you, know, you did what you honestly thought was reasonable at that moment in time, it's for the prosecution to believe that you didn't hold that belief. And there's other aspects on this. I mean, with, with our training, we're involved in all sorts of other areas like combat psychology and stress, stress um, um, you know, performance and this sort of stuff, because we're sports coaches as well. And... Um, if, if you're under attack, as you've identified, you're not going to be in a reasonable frame of mind. And if your heart rate jumps to over 175 beats per minute, certain things are going to happen to your psychology and physiology. For example, you're going to get tunnel vision, you're going to, get depth, you're going to lose depth perception, you're going to become short-sighted, 80% of your hearing is going to, going to shut down, your bladder and bowels are going to void, and you're not going to be in your conscious mind. You're going to go back to a more primitive mind that's, that's in the limbic system that's going to gear you up to do what your forefathers did, which is either to run away 
to, to engage and fight the threat or to hide and freeze. And, you know, this, this is all the thing that will come out in court. So you don't have to. To answer your question fully, if someone breaks in your house and they're going to attack you, you, you don't have to weigh up what's reasonable. You've just got to do what you honestly think was, was reasonable based on what you thought the threat is. But in this ludicrous day and age, we get, for instance, Tony Martin, if I remember rightly, uh, didn't one of the people that was uh, hurt by him um, sue Tony Martin? Yeah, that's right. And this was, you know, this goes back to the case I was talking to you about in 1988, you know, with Ted Nuremberg, the 72-year-old man who, who laid in his shed. You know, he, he actually was found not guilty of a criminal charge, but then you've got the civil courts, which, which look at whether or not your actions um, have, have compromised the, the, the other person's ability, for example, to go and earn an income. And, you know, that's a whole different ballgame ball altogether because you're looking with civil issues there. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we live in an age of civil litigation where we've got no win, no fee lawyers, you know, running after ambulances at the moment. So that, that is a problem that we have in a society currently. Mark, I've got to take a break. Will you stay me a little bit longer? Yeah, sure, no problem at all. Smashing. I'm talking to Mark Dawes, who is an author of a book called Understanding Reasonable Force. Um, I'll be back after this break. This is Late Night City with Pete Price. City Talk 105.9. And if you've just joined us, we're talking to Mark Dawes, who I'll be with in a second, called his book. is called Understanding Reasonable Force. We'd like you to join us and tell us of your um, fears, your stories, if you've been in this situation, what happened to you, have you been to court? Because we've called the programme tonight, My Home is My Castle. How far would you go to protect your home and your loved ones? There are many men out there and women that would kill to protect their loved ones in particular. So give us a ring right now. Our lines are clear. 0151 708 1059 or text me. Text the word talk. Leave your space 61025 or email me Pete at CityTalk1FM. Hey? Yeah, that's right. Uh, 1FM. Just I had a mental block then. So give us a ring now. We'd love to hear your stories. 0151 708 1059 is the number. We're talking to Mark Dawes. Hello, Mark. Hi, Mark. Do you get angry um, because you're you're involved with this in a big way and 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 uh, you see it all the time? Do you get angry when you see these cases of old ladies being beaten up? Oh, absolutely. Of course, of course, I do. It, you know, I mean, who wouldn't? Who wants to see a, an old lady, you know, be, having been beaten up by someone that's, that's entered her property and, and stole her possessions and and abused abused her physically and mentally? Of course, I do. It's one of the things that drives me to do what I do in terms of the training I do and the books we write. Do you think the law will ever be changed towards um, these people and towards these cases? Because surely it's clear if somebody breaks into your house, they're doing it to actually uh, harm you or steal from you. So why should they have any rights at all? Well, it, to answer your first question first, does, does the law need to be changed? Uh, my, my view on that is no, it doesn't. I mean, the law is adequate as it is. It really is. I mean, it, it, the, the, the law exists. It, it's been around for hundreds of years. We, we're now underpinned and supported by the Human Rights Act, which, if used properly, is a very, very powerful tool. I mean, I, I know I, I use it all the time. Um, but so, in, in answer to that first question, no, the law doesn't need to be changed, but it needs to be used in a much more constructive way. I, I think we have certain parts of the criminal justice system that, that uh, up to now have been quite concern, you know, concerned about this. They've, they've been a, a little bit lax on this in following things through. We've got an overstretched police force. We've, we've got prisons bulging at the seams. And all these excuses come out from the judiciary as to, as to why we can't do certain things. But the bottom line is, if, if, you know, with regards to the law, it's, it's solid. It's, it's in our favour. It, it really is. I mean, 
I'm living proof of that. I've used it in many cases uh, for, for my own defence, and I've used it to help other people you know, have charges against them dropped. You know, and I'm not a barrister. I must make that quite clear. I'm not a barrister, and I'm not a qualified lawyer. I'm just someone who's become an expert in this field and is registered as an expert witness. And to go back to your previous point, it all started because I got angry. Have you been robbed? Yes, yeah. I was, I was burgled in London when I lived in London. <laughs> One of the reasons I moved, to be honest. Um, Can you tell us what happened? Uh, yeah, I, I was I was at work. My my wife was out at work. With the, the the children were, were with with minders. And when my wife came home, someone had prized open the the back doors of the house uh, from the conservatory area and had gone and had stolen all the Christmas presents, basically. And you just got very angry. Oh, I got extremely angry because the chances of that burglar being detected in court is is absolutely zero. And. In, in fairness, and I think if the police were being honest with you, they're, they're not motivated to find these people because the clean-up rate on burglaries is, is so poor. So it took about two or three days for them to get a forensic expert around. And it, and it taught me a lesson. And you know, But the thing I'd say about, about getting angry is if you, if you get angry and you do nothing about it, you end up killing yourself. Uh, if, you do, if you get angry and you do something about it, then you can turn that into quite a positive thing. And, and that, again, is, is, is where the culmination of our business has come from, to be perfectly honest with you, is, is we take challenges like this and we, we turn them into opportunities. So what bothers me is that a lot of people out there can't afford burglar alarms, can't afford protection, can't afford uh, whatever they need uh, because they're just ordinary working class people who haven't got this protection. So what do they do? Well, I mean, you say you can't afford a burglar alarm. Um, you know, a burglar alarm now isn't expensive. We're talking about 100 maybe £200 pounds to have a really decent system installed. And yes, of course, there's going to be people who can't afford that at that end of the skill spectrum, but... You know, the, the other side of the argument is if they, if they can't afford the burglar alarm, can they actually afford to have the stuff in the house that's worth more than the burglar alarm stolen? So it is a necessary evil, and, and these things are, are not that expensive now, and, and there's lots of other, you know, simple measures we can take as opposed to having a burglar alarm fitted. You know, making sure our doors and windows are locked at night, you know, having, having security lights on in the house. You can buy these, these light switches that go on and off, these, these automatic things you can plug your lamps into so you, it looks as though the house is occupied when you're out. These are very simple, you know, crime prevention safety measures you can take at little to no cost. And if people were to contact their local crime prevention officer or crime by design officer at the local police, they can certainly advise them on these things. And I know when I worked on the crime prevention panels in London, we did a lot of work for elderly people living on certain estates who were scared of crime and worried about crime. And we used to go around there and the panel used to pay for them to have these things fitted, including alarms. So there is uh, help out there. And do these work? Do these put, do, do, or do these frighten burglars off? What alarms? Yeah. Well, put it this way. I mean, I've, I've worked inside the criminal justice system. I used to be a hostage negotiator, and I used to be a prison officer. And we know because we have to deal with these people, and they'll tell you if they're walking down a road and there's three houses with a burglar burglar alarm, and there's one house without one, then you can tell which one they're going to target. But they don't want to be caught. That's the bottom line: is they don't want to be caught. They want to nick the stuff. They want to fence the stuff, they want to get their money, and then they want to go out and do it again. And the, the, the more easy the opportunity, the, the more weaker the target, then the more chance there is that target's going to get hit. Mark, have you ever done any research into um, burglars' violence? I mean, are burglars in general violent people, or is that just when their back's against the wall? I'm, I'm not really qualified to answer that question fully because it, I've not done any research on that myself. But from, from previous experience, most, most burglars um, will, will tend to burglar downstairs of the house. They, when they go upstairs, we, we found evidence of, of people defecating upstairs because they panic when they're upstairs and they go into fight and flight and they, they, they shit themselves, basically. They leave, leave your present either on your, on your bed or on your carpet to, to be blunt. So they, they are very nervous when they're doing this. They, they don't want to be caught. 
But there, obviously there, there's an element of, of people out there now who are stealing support drug habits. And, and the problem with that is, is when you're dealing with someone on drugs, they're irrational. And on some research I looked at <clears throat> some years ago, there was evidence to suggest that, that they wouldn't walk around armed. So they're not going to walk around the streets carrying a knife or carrying a weapon because if they get picked up by the police, they're obviously going to get locked up. And if they get locked up, they can't get their drugs. So what, what, the, what the research showed was that when they break into people's homes, the first place they'll tend to go is the kitchen uh, because that's where your knives are. And they'll, they might possibly arm themselves with something that you've got in your house. Wow. Now, you, um, your company, uh, uh, t help um, social service staff? Yes, we do, yeah. Um, because their they're job's on the line all the time, and they're, you know, they're opposite people who are very short-tempered and some very bad people out there. Mm. What, what sort of things do you teach them? Well, a range of things, really. I mean, we, we, we try and look at the, the problem at its root cause. So, I mean, a typical example is, is, is if someone's going out working on their own in a, in a known trouble area, then we have to ask the question is, do, do they really need to go? There's, there's no point a company going in and teaching a, a physical skill to teach someone how to defend themselves if they're out working on their own, because the reality of the matter is, is if you've never experienced a really violent physical assault, if someone gets really violent with you and that heart rate kicks up, most of the things you'll be taught in, in the very clinical classroom environment where it's a bit of fun to you know, do a technique with your friend and have a bit of a laugh is going to be lost uh, when, when the adrenaline kicks in. So we've got to be practical with this and we've got to look at whether or not we, we, we don't need to send that person in the first place. And one of the things that we're quite strong on is briefing the management teams on where their liabilities rise. And this, with the implementation of the Corporate Manslaughter Act now and the Human Rights Act, we're, we're very clear in saying to management, look, if you're going to send staff out into this situation knowing there's a particular risk and all you're going to do is teach them how to defend themselves, then you're actually breaching various aspects of, of the law. And if something then goes wrong, you're fundamentally liable. And that tends to, to change a shift in the way the management will actually start looking at the problem because inherently these things, the reason people get hurt is, is it becomes the default common part of the job procedure. You know, if you're going to do this job, then you're expected to be abused, you're expected to be hurt. Well, yeah, I'm sorry, but that's, that's wrong. You're entitled to go home in the same way you went to work in the morning, and that's the responsibility of your employer, to make sure that occurs. In general, would you say, listening now to all the listeners who are listening, and hopefully they're going to ring in and tell us, um, in general, would they have people, uh, or sorry, would most people have some sort of a weapon under their bed, would you say? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't. Um, I don't have a weapon under my bed. I've, I've got access to quite a few um, because I, one of my hobbies is martial arts. So if you open my wardrobe, I, I can show you a whole range of martial arts equipment that, that we, we used to train with. Uh, it's not under my bed necessarily, but uh, I, I think there's a lot of people living, you know, we, we read in the papers, a lot of people living in inner city areas, who, you know, in, in maybe socially deprived areas where they're, as, as the, the term has been used now, you know, gangs of feral youth run, you know, roaming the streets and causing a mayhem. And I, I think it would be more, more than reasonable to expect that these people would have something under their bed. I mean, there was the case, you know, and again, they've, they've got rights. And, the, the, you know, this, this whole aspect of reasonable force, there, there was the case of um, Edward Pitkin that, that came out in, in February this year. I mean, the man was acquitted. Of, of killing someone who was trying to force an entry into his house. And the interesting thing about, about this case was the man who was trying to, to force his way into Mr. Pitkin's house had been out on a 12-hour drink and drug session to, to celebrate his uh, forthcoming 33rd birthday. And this particular guy who was trying to force his way in was act actually thought he was, he was trying to get into his own house, and he couldn't understand why Mr. Pitkin was in his house. So he was in a drunken stupor, if you like, trying to force his way into what he believed his own house. Mr. 
Pitkin thought it was a burglar intruder trying to get in. Uh, the guy who was trying to get his way in actually said to Mr. Pitkin, look, I'm going to stab you. Mr. Pitkin's wife dialed 999. Mr. Pitkin armed himself with, with a knife, and he actually stabbed this fellow, whom he thought was going to cause him harm. And, if, if, and he was found, you know, the case didn't go to court. The, the charges were dropped. The CPS actually said that, um, you know, that, that he'd been in genuine fear and had therefore not acted unlawfully. You know, so this, this honestly held belief is, is always there. And your house is, is private property, and, you know, apart from obviously, you know, things like firearms, which are legislated against, most common things that you expect to find in the house are quite reasonable to have at hand. Do the perpetrators have any rights? Yeah, you, they, they do. They do. And, and you can't just take away their rights by saying, well, that they have no rights, because that goes against all the principles of law. And that's, that's quite a hard pill for some of us to swallow. But if we want any defence in this, if we want to do this in a measured way and not turn into a, a society of people who are vigilantes, then we, we have to accept that. But they do have rights. So, I mean, I can give you a, a real example that happened to me some years ago. It was I found someone trying to break into my garage. And I'd just been out for a run. And my wife shouted at me, and I, I went out the back. And basically, we, we, you know, I wrestled this guy to the ground and um, got, a, got a set of, my wife got a set of handcuffs that I used for training, you know, proper handcuffs, by the way, not pink fluffy ones for you to start thinking I'm weird. And we handcuffed him. And um, the police were called, and the police took him away. And it, it turned out that this, this fellow was actually trying to hide from a, a gang of men who were trying to, to hurt him. So he was only trying to break into my garage to actually, you know, find find some sort of um, refuge, if you like. Yeah. So, but I acted with an honest intent. Uh, I handcuffed the man, the police took him away, and, and there was no issue with that at all, none whatsoever, because it was an honest belief and it didn't even go any further. How do you make a citizen's arrest? Well, it's, 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 a citizen's arrest is just a, a custom and practice term that's, that, that's come about as, as, as the nature of people who are not police officers making arrests, but... When you make a citizen's arrest, you actually make the same arrest as a police officer without a warrant. So if you arrest someone who's committing a crime uh, or damaging property or harming someone else, then you're actually making the same arrest as a police officer. So in terms of how you do it, you actually remove the person's liberty. You stop them from going where they want to go, either by using words to make it very clear to the person they can't leave, and if they, if they submit to that and, they, and you say to them, right, stay there, you're not going anywhere, you're under arrest, and they stay, that's fine. Obviously... The average person that you say that to is probably going to want to leg it. And if it gets to the stage where you have to use force, then you can use force to make an arrest, again, providing it's reasonable. Mark, do you think people should take um, uh, self-defence courses or not? I mean, people in general. People in general, I think if, if, it's, if you're going to do it for, for the fact that it's going to do away with, with stress, it's going to do away with worry, it's going to make you feel better, then absolutely yes. Um, it, no two ways about that. I mean, it, it really is a good confidence booster. Um, we, and, the, you know, this, this does sort of have to address the fear that in, in some areas the perception of crime is far worse than reality. So people are worrying themselves to death about things that might not happen. And I think if you go on a self-defence course and it helps to alleviate that, absolutely, you know, they should do it. There's no harm in that at all. It's like any other physical course. Um, in terms of will it work, uh, if, if you're attacked, well, that, that would really much depend on, on how you're being taught. And there are some courses out there that are taught very, very well. They're, they're based on natural reflex responses, and they're, they're taught within the framework of the law. And at the other end of the spectrum, you've got some courses that are taught not so well, and they're, they're, they're taught as a, a bit of a fun thing, and those techniques won't, won't work at all. You know, So it, it, it very much is you know, dependent upon what, what, what you want to achieve out of it. What, what I would say about self-defense training... Um, and this is based on over 20 years of doing this, uh, because we've been asked this all the time, and, and again, it came to the writing of the book, is most people 
don't necessarily want to know technique. They actually want to know what their rights are. They want to know where they stand. How do they get the book, Mark? Well, you can, you can get it off Amazon, or you can go to our website at www.nfps.info, and you, you can buy it from there. What's the website again? www.nfps.novemberfoxtrotpapasierra.info. I-N-F-O. And the book is called Understanding Reasonable Force. Before you go, one more question. Sure. To everybody that's listening right now, what advice would you give to them? They're ordinary people, they're in their home, their home is their castle, a lot of them are in fear. They live in areas that are not the nicest areas in the world. They don't know how to deal with stuff. A little bit of advice. Well, if, I've, I've got to take a thing from my good friend John Steadman, who's also a scouser. He's, he's here with me at the moment, actually. We're over in Northern Ireland working. And he's got a cracking thing, which is if you don't know what your rights are, you've got none. So I would say go and, go and find out. Go and, go and read. Go and learn. Yeah, go and find out where you stand legally. Uh, don't take other people's words for it. You know, don't don't be caught in the mass hysteria of what you think that the media wants you to believe. Go and find out. You know, I mean, books like mine are available. There's other books out there which are available uh, on our website. For example, you can download information on all this stuff, and there's other websites that do much the same. You know, don't live in 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 the in the fear of this stuff. Go go and educate yourself. The website again, please, Mark. www.nfps.info. Mm. Before you go, I've got to tell you, um, as well as being a broadcaster, I'm a stand-up comic and I've been doing it for many years. I was in um, Northern Ireland, as you mentioned Northern Ireland, I was over in Belfast working a certain club and I didn't know uh, that the certain club was a stronghold for a certain organisation. It was when the Royal Avenue Hotel was still around before they blew it up. And I was in there and their idea of humour was when I went back to my room one night, there was a guy sitting in the room with a black coat on, he was a doorman, with his hand inside his inside pocket, and he said, I believe you've been talking to soldiers, to which I, use your words, de 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 defecated everywhere, fainted, and got the first plane home, and he went, it's a joke, it's a joke! <laughs> Thanks very much. You're welcome, Pete. <laughs> Mark, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Mark Dawes, interesting man. And uh, do you know what, I'll tell you why I liked him. There was one thing he said which I really liked, and he said, you can be taught self-defense, but when you come to doing it, it all goes out the window. What he said, there are certain courses that will help you, which will help you to react the right way. I thought that was fascinating, that. This is Late Night City with Pete Price. City Talk 105.9.